And of course, uh, I want to again just wish all of you dads a happy Father's Day. I know that as uh, many holidays are, uh, there's certainly joy in it, but there can be some pain as well. There can be different aspects of sorrow. I fully recognize that not every relationship with every father and their child is a, is a good one, is a solid one, is a healthy one. And so for those of you who, who, for whom that might be the experience, uh, we pray for you as well. Uh, I know in my own life, there's, there's certainly a little bit of sorrow. My, my dad lives in a different state. My three kids all live in three other states. And so I won't be with them in person today. Uh, but uh, we'll be connecting, uh, you know, by phone and Zoom. And if your kids are, or dad live away, uh, and I hope you're able to do that as well. And again, for those who might have that little bit of a difficulty in that relationship, or maybe your, your father ha- has passed or, or, or your strained relationship with children, whatever the case might be, we definitely pray for you in that. Thinking of Father's Day, a name should come to mind, but I bet it's a name that most of you don't know. A few of you might. Uh, if you do, you can raise your hand. Ever, anyone ever hear, heard of the name Sonora Smart? Sonora Smart. We are batting 100. Oh, yeah, the guys who were here in the first service. Yeah, good job, good job. But if, you, if you're a dad today, you can thank Sonora for the fact that we have Father's Day. So in the early 1900s, Sonora, whose dad's name was William, uh, she, was, she, she was born in Arkansas. Her dad was actually a a, a, a military guy. He was in the Union uh, forces during the Civil, Civil War, and uh, they relocated out to uh, near Spokane, Washington. And so when Sonora was 16, her mom gave birth to their sixth, sixth child, five boys. Sonora was the oldest. So Sonora and then five brothers. Her mom gave birth, and she actually tragically died in childbirth. So Sonora and her dad, William, raised those five boys. And so one day, at, a, at this newfangled idea that was happening in the churches in the early 1900s called the observance of Mother's Day. Of course, mothers got it before dads did, right? Um, so as the Mother's Day was happening, she said, hey, she loved her dad so much. She thought so highly of him that he, as a single dad throughout that time, working as a farmer outside of Spokane, had done such a great job with his family. She went to the Spokane Ministerial Alliance. That sounds very official, doesn't it? And she said, we need to have a Father's Day. And I want it on my dad's birthday, June 5th. And they were like, June 5th doesn't work. Don't know why it didn't work. I'm not sure. But they said, June 5th doesn't work. We'll make it June 19th. So that was like uh, on a Sunday. And so over the course of years, it kind of faded in the 1920s. But eventually through different presidential sort of declarations. And ultimately, I believe in the early 70s, uh, President Nixon eventually officially made it a holiday. And uh, so if you want to read more about that, search Samora Smart. Her her married name is Dodd. She married a guy named Dodd. And uh, she was actually honored at the 1974 Expo, which was like the World's Fair outside of Spokane in in that year. And then she died uh, four years later at the ripe old age of 96. So what a life she lived. And uh, so, Dad, you can give a little shout out uh, to Sonora today as you think about Father's Day. Now, I want to say something to dads today, but I recognize that Many of you sitting here today, number one, you're not dads for multiple reasons. It might be because you're a woman. It might be because you're, not a, you're, you're a guy, but you're not a dad. So I think what I'm about to say, yes, it's going to be targeted toward dads, but I think there's something there for all of us. So don't check out on me if you happen to not be a dad today. But dads, I do want to remind you of this charge that we have. 
And it was a verse that my wife would often quote to me, especially the first half of the verse. And it went like this. Maybe, Dad, you've heard it before. Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Any other dads ever get that quoted to them by a godly wife? Yeah, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So how do we do that? How How do we live in that reality, dads? as ones who don't bring frustration and exasperation into our kids' lives. But instead, we bring them up, we train them up, whether they're still in our house or like me, you might have adult kids, or you might be working on the grandkid thing right now. I am as well. I have a couple grandsons. So whatever the case might be, I pray that we can lean into that reality. And I'm going to share just a few things with you about what I think would be helpful for you as a father, but even, uh, like I said, regardless of, of your status as a father or not, now, helpful for all of us as we live into the calling that God has for us. So I'm going to pray real quick just before we do that, and then we'll jump right into it. Would you bow your heads with me? Father God, thank you for being so incredibly good. We have sung about that today. It resonates with us. And God, you know, There are many of us sitting here today who had incredible earthly fathers. They loved us. They provided for us. They cared for us. They listened to us. They put boundaries in our lives. And Lord, for others, maybe that relationship just was not quite that healthy. Maybe it was actually super unhealthy. I pray, Lord, today that we would have just a new glimpse of you as our good, good father. Of this wonderful, loving God. And that it might make a dent in our hearts. It might, might leave a mark on us. That we might be different today when we leave here or when we sign off online than when we tuned in or when we showed up. We pray these things, God, all for your glory. And pray that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. In the great name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So just a few things about living that life of a father who brings their children up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And this is the first thing I'm going to say, if you forget everything else, but the first four or five minutes makes an impact on your life, I'll be happy with it. So the first thing I I think we need to do for all of us, but especially dads, is we need to receive and recognize. See, before we get into what we do or how we live or how we act or what we're to be, we have to receive and recognize our identity as the incredible loved children of God. This is something that we kind of gloss over, I think, sometimes in the church. And you know, it's something I understand, right? I understand that I, that I have this identity uh, that, that comes to me by faith. If I've received Jesus, that I, that I have that. And, and scripture tells me that in John chapter 1, verses 12, 12 and 13, it says, to all who did receive him, that is Jesus, He gave them the right to be children of God. So dads, the first thing that I want you to understand is whose child you are. To receive that. For all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God to those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man. In other words, nothing to do with a a human birth there, a human conception, a human birth, but of God. For all of us, the beginning point is we receive that as truth. 
to be the men, to be the fathers, to be the women, to be the mothers, to be the people that God wants us to be. It begins with receiving that from him. And then that great declaration that that same writer makes, John, not in his gospel, but in the letter he writes in 1 John chapter 3, he says, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us. And guys, I want you to hear that. Everyone, I want you to hear that. Not just like, don't let it, just don't let it pass over. Don't move too quickly beyond it. One of my kids uh, has, a, has just a special affinity and, and such great insight into this understanding and seeing himself as God's beloved son. And I, I, I've learned so much from him about that. And I've, I've noticed that we don't hear that enough in the church about who, how we are the beloved of God. And I recognize I haven't spoken that enough to the church so that we can hear it more, that we are the beloved of God. How great is the love that the Father has lavished on you, dads, church, that you are called the daughters and sons of the Most High God. Receive that. Recognize that. Let everything you do come from that place that you are beloved by God. He is your good, good father. And he delights in loving you. That is what we are. That's how John finishes that verse in 1 John 3, 1. That is what we are. So as we receive and recognize that, I'm gonna keep moving, but again, if that's not something that you own at a deep level, I would encourage you to do some reading, do some prayer, do some meditation, do some, do some discussion with a trusted spiritual uh, friend a brother or sister in Christ to help you to grasp that even at a deeper level about, about the love that God has for you as his child. As you are his children, then it's interesting that one of the things that Paul does in Ephesians chapter five is he connects that identity with your calling. So that second charge that I'm gonna give you today, the first is receive and recognize your identity as the beloved. The second is God's called you to be an imitator, dads. You're to be an imitator. Paul connects those two, that identity and that calling. Again, like I said in Ephesians 5.1, when he says, therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children. See how he lets it flow right out of the identity? You're his dearly loved children. So guess what? Imitate him. The word is mimetes. You know how we get our word mimic. You know what it means to mimic someone or to mimic something. So that's literally what Paul is saying here. He's saying, mimic your God. Now, guys, I know, everyone, all of us, what an incredibly foreboding challenge that is, right? Be an imitator of God. I mean, Dave, come on. That's, I, I, I recognize that. I recognize that to, to consider how, well, which attribute am I supposed to imitate? All of them? Like his whole being? Like his whole purpose? <laughs> There's a lot there. And I'm not going to try to go through, of course, the list of all the attributes of God that are worth imitating, but I do have a few that I think are especially important for us as fathers. And the first thing is, what if we began to imitate God by imitating his forgiveness? Ooh. I know. Forgiveness is the last thing we think about most of the time when someone hurts us, when one of our kids wrongs us, or when one, someone we work with, or a neighbor. When those things happen, when somebody hurts me, what do I want to do? Hurt them. They give it to me what I want to do. Give it back. And what does God say? As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Think about that. Think about the difference in a household. 
between a culture and a household of forgiveness and a culture and a household of shame and blame. It's such a different mentality and reality that's created from that mentality. Will there be discipline that has to happen? Absolutely, dads. I've disciplined my kids. I, dis- I was disciplined by my parents, and I'm glad that they did, and, and my kids understand that it was necessary for me to do that as well. But the times that break my heart is when I look back and I know that there are times that I withheld forgiveness from them. Times when I actually wronged them and I didn't seek forgiveness fast enough. Dads, anyone? That's one of the, in fact, that's one of the things about being an imitator of God. Now, God doesn't ever have to come and ask for forgiveness. But we, as his people, engage in his level of forgiveness when we seek it out from sometimes our spouse, our significant other, our children, our friends, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Imitate God's forgiveness as he has forgiven you. And how has he forgiven you? Completely. So you, you, so you also must forgive. Secondly, dads, what if we began to imitate God's patience? Anybody get frustrated with a kid? Anybody ever lose their patience with their child? Children are like trying not to make eye contact if they're sitting by their parents. Of course we do, right? Is God patient? Yes, he is. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord isn't slow about keeping his promises, as some people think he is. In fact, God is patient because he wants everyone to turn from sin and no one to be lost. It reveals something about his heart, right? Because God's heart is for people to be saved, to not be separated from him, because that's his desire and his heart, then he's patient with us. He's not slow in keeping a promise about the consummation of all things, but he's patient because how many of you know that it breaks our good, good father's heart when he sees people who are rejecting him? Where we look at people who are acting out in sin and doing all sorts of nasty stuff to each other, we see it, with, we want to bring judgment and, and we want to inflict harm on them. God's just heartbroken about it, right? If he wasn't heartbroken about it, he wouldn't have sent his son in the first place. But he sends his son and he's patient with humanity. His desire is that they would come to know him. So how can we as fathers, how can we as people demonstrate patience with each other in the same way God demonstrates patience with us? The third attribute maybe that's worth imitating dads is the one of self-sacrifice. Self-sacrifice. Now, we know that that is absolutely central to the work of Jesus, correct? We know that that's all about what God did in giving us his son. Romans 5.8 says, God proves his own love for us in this, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God was self-sacrificing in giving us his son, and Jesus was self-sacrificing in giving us his life. And so, We know that heart of self-sacrifice. It's the ultimate, right? John 15 points that out. Greater love, no one has greater love than to give up one's life for one's friends. And I know what you're thinking, dads. Like, I would hazard a guess that if you're a dad sitting here today, and if it was between you losing your life or one of your kids losing their lives, I would hazard a guess that we're probably close to 100% of us would give our life for our kids. And I get that's what Jesus did, but I also think there's another way of self-sacrifice, right? There's this daily 
taking your needs and putting them behind or below the other people in your household, right? Not always making it how you want it to be. Not being so domineering or not being so, so, so overwhelming in the, in, the, in the family dynamics. Not allowing them to see you as one who's willing to take second seat or third seat or fourth seat or whatever that might be. In fact, we know that for married dads, right, for, for those of us who are married, we're called to love our wives as Christ loved the church. And how does that phrase finish, that verse finish? Gave himself up for her. In Ephesians 5, 25, that's what it says. We're to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, I, I realize that not every dad is, a, uh, is also a husband. But for those of us who are, again, it embodies that attitude and that posture of self-sacrifice, which is, of course, a clear attribute of our good, good father. And the last thing of those things to imitate of God's character are the passion that exists between the father and the son. We know that God loved his son with incredible love, right? His voice spoke after Jesus' baptism in Matthew chapter 3. And as the Holy Spirit descended as a dove and lit on Jesus, the voice from heaven said, This is my beloved son. I take delight in him. I would, I would suggest to you that those same words God utters about those of us who believe, because we are the brothers and sisters in who? In Christ. God loves us. And again, we need to receive that and recognize that and understand how much the Father loves his Son. And we also need to recognize that Jesus' number one passion in, in life was his Father. Forty Over 40 times in the Gospels, Jesus uses the phrase, my father, my father, my father, my father. 42 to be exact, I believe. It's such a common way. In fact, it's very unusual for Jesus to say, to refer to his father as God, correct? In fact, it's only a couple of times in the Gospels we see that. One of the times, of course, one of the most, most famous times is when he's on the cross and he's feeling separated from his father, you know, distinctively separated as he's bearing the sin of the world. And he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But the regular way in which he related to him was with passion, was with passion for him as his father. And I would suggest to you that the number one passion that Jesus had wasn't us. Wasn't those of us, wasn't the human race. But his number one passion was his father. He loved his father first. I, think if you, I, I don't think it would be wrong to say Jesus came to speak his father's words, to carry out his father's mission, to do his father's will, and it was all for his father's glory. Now, we are incredible beneficiaries of that fact that Jesus had his father as his number one passion. We benefit from that because salvation is a result. We receive the work that he did for us so that we can have eternal life. But that passion that he had for us is the same kind of passion that I believe God is calling for you, for, from you for him. Isn't that kind of why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, this, and it sounds kind of odd, if you love your father or mother or even your sons and daughters, dads, more than me, you are not fit to be my disciples. So dads, it's often been said, like the number one gift you can give to your kids is to love your wife if you happen to be married. And that's true. 
But even above that, the absolute priority passion for your life needs to be to return that love as his beloved, correct? Now, I know, and again, I understand. Some of you sitting here today, the pressures that you're facing as you're dealing with work, as you're dealing with the fallout of everything going on in our world today with the pandemic and social unrest and an election year and you're thinking about your future and you're wondering about your retirement and some of you are dealing with health issues and you're trying to manage a a household and a family. Some of you are worried about your employment. I'm not dismissing that. I'm not like wink, wink at that, let it make it go away. I recognize that, dads. That's reality. We're dealing with that. But I would still suggest to you that the number one singular passion of our life needs to be the person of God. We begin there. All of those other things can begin to take shape, even the struggles and the pain and the adversity we're we're facing. So we recognize, we receive our identity as God's children. And as his children, dads, we imitate. We imitate his forgiveness and patience. We imitate his self-sacrifice and passion. And the last thing I'll share with you, dads, and this might be even the most challenging, is be one that you'd want others to imitate. Be one to imitate. Paul faced a challenge in the early church. You see, for the Hebrew world and for the Jewish, in the Jewish community, there was this incredibly great, uh, helpful dynamic for spiritual formation known as the rabbi-disciple relationship, okay? Jesus himself was a rabbi. He had disciples. And the whole structure of spiritual development for the Jewish spiritual community was built on that model of rabbi-disciple relationships. There was leadership development took place. And this, again, that's exactly what happened with Jesus and his 12 apostles. That's what it was about. But when the church began to become not exclusively Jew, Jewish and became, they had Gentile influences, well, the Gentiles had no, they had no uh, concept of this rabbi-disciple thing. That wasn't part of their culture. So Paul had to come up with a different way for them to understand how spiritual development was to take place. And he came up with this concept of spiritual parenting. So when he writes to the Corinthians in the first letter that he sent to them in chapter 4, he says in verse 14 of that, I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. I'm not writing it to make you feel bad about yourself, to beat you up, to to kind of Bible beat you or shame you or anything, make you feel guilty. I'm writing this to warn you because you're my dear children. And then he goes on to say this incredible thing in verse 15. He says, you may have 10,000 Christian teachers. Now, the word there, that's kind of a liberal translation there. Uh, uh, It's actually the the more technical, like word-to-word translation would be something like instructors or tutors. But he's meaning that in a Christian perspective, and that's why this particular translation adds Christian there. So he says, you might have 10,000, or some English translations say countless, instructors or tutors. Now, tutors or instructors were an essential part of Greek and Roman culture in Paul's day. It was what's known as paedagogos. And these, these people were actually servants of the wealthy, and they were ones who were responsible for the upbringing and instruction and spiritual and moral development of young boys especially. In that patriarchal culture, that's kind of how things flowed in that, in that ancient world. And so the boys were basically assigned to those tutors the very word Paul uses here. They were assigned to those tutors and they couldn't leave the house until they became of age 
they basically were tied to their tutor for, again, the, the more upper class people, the more wealthy people. They were tied to their tutor for the whole time of their growing up. And Paul says, you might have 10,000 of them in your life, but check it out. But remember, I am the only father you have. Guys, how I hope that rings in your ear right now. How I wish that you could be at the same time that you are your child's perhaps biological father, perhaps they came into your family through adoption or through some sort of uh, uh, marriage, however they would be your sons and daughters. Yes, of course, you are their father, but how I pray that you are their spiritual father as well. That they could look to you in the same way that Paul is asking these Corinthian followers of Jesus to look to him. He said, you became Christians when I preached the good news to you. So he's saying to them that basically I, I gave you spiritual birth. That's what he's talking about here. And he's emphasizing that. And then he goes on to say then in the very next verse, therefore, I urge you as your spiritual dad, imitate me. I know that's a challenge, guys. In the Phillips translation, Paul says it this way, or the translation says it this way. I implore you to follow the footsteps of me, your father. Is that incredibly challenging? Yes. And guys, let me just say it right now. It's not about you being a perfect example. It's just you're a flesh and blood living example to your children. And in fact, I would suggest to you that it is those times when we fail, when we mess up, when we blow it, and we go to our spouse or our friends or our kids and we say, I blew it. Forgive me. It was a bad choice. It was sinful. I was wrong. I love you. Forgive me. How I wish that our sons and daughters would see more and more of that in us. Because, oh, don't we live in a culture that needs a little bit more forgiveness? Don't we need men who are willing not just to be father on a birth certificate or in some other legal manner? How we need our men to be spiritual fathers to their children and beyond in the same way that Paul was a father to them. Later in that same letter that he wrote to the Corinthians, I think it's chapter 11, verse 1, Paul says, imitate me as I do the Messiah. Be one to imitate. Sourced in the fact that you understand what it means to imitate the character of your father. Because after all, who are you? His dearly loved sons and daughters as well. Amen? The worship team is going to close us with a song today. But I just want to say, after the service is over, if there are some dads, men, or anyone who'd love to talk with me or something I can pray with you about related to something you heard today or a challenge maybe you're facing in your own spiritual walk, I'll be hanging out up here. Feel free to come up. We can talk and pray together. If you happen to be watching online, there are links there that you can click on. It'll take you out into a, like a third-party app where uh, you'll be involved in a, in a private conversation with a staff person. If, again, if you have prayer needs, if you have questions that you'd like to ask, 
then take advantage of that tool as well. I'm going to pray, and the worship team is going to lead us in that song, so feel free to join us in worship as they do that. Thank you, God, for being our incredibly loving Heavenly Father. I pray most of all, God, that everyone that's hearing this would receive and recognize the the love of God, that they might understand their identity as your sons and daughters. May they receive that by faith. And as we take those steps toward imitating you, Lord, and being one that's, uh, that, that calls others to, to imitate even our own life, we recognize the incredible challenge that is, and we ask that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. We ask that you would keep us very near to your heart. We ask that you would keep our minds, Lord, locked in on your will and not our own. We pray that you would help us, like your son, to have you as our passion. And we pray, God, that in all of that, you might lead us more deeply into Christian community, beyond just a wave and a hello, where we exchange lives with each other, spurring one another on toward even the good deed of being a good dad. Bless us, God, with a power to live this out that is beyond our ability because it is beyond our ability to do. We love you and we thank you for being the father, the father of all fathers, our perfect parent. We're humbled, God, to know that you love us as your children. you died that we would have that status. We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.